Let's hear the Word of God taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20b through 23. Excuse me, 21b. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or Life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains everything that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. We thank you for your holy word. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Shape us, form and fashion us into the image of your dear Son. Having read this word, we pray that And may your word be on my tongue as Jeremiah spoke. And may the Spirit be powerful, powerfully spoken of in the words of your holy and inspired word. We ask all these things in the precious name of Christ our Lord. Amen. When Christian weddings are officiated, normally the passage comes up from the very beginning of marriage. When God provided a wife for Adam, and when God presented her to him, he exulted and said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This one flesh principle extends to many ramifications. It means that when Lindsay and I were married, all that I had or shall have became Lindsay's. And all that she had or shall have became mine. If this principle is faithfully applied, it has ramifications on how you spend your money, how you spend your time. Uh, It has ramifications for uh, your possessions and your loves. In conclusion, Paul comments and says... In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. This is a metaphor for Christ's love of the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And that first marriage was speaking of the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. 
And therefore, the one flesh principle is spoken by Christ unto the church. Christ says, what is mine is yours. In union with Christ, all that is Christ's is yours. And Christ is the Lord of all. The nations of the world have been made a footstool under His feet. Colossians 1.15 speaks of this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Everything is created by Him. And we have a right to all that is His. He gives us all things, not begrudgingly, but He gives it to the church. This principle gets at the grain of what we'll be speaking of this morning because Jesus says through the Apostle Paul in verse 21b, for all things are yours. This gets to the beautiful doctrine of the text because Christ has all, excuse me, because Christ has all things, but the, the believer has all things as well. Because Christ has all things, the believer has all things as well. In other words, all things are yours in Christ. Because Christ with Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So whatever Christ has is yours. If we have faith in Christ, and subsequently whatever you have is Christ's. And the exposition, I would like to recall to your minds the blessing or the benefits that are contained in verse 22. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All are yours. What, does, what things does he mention here? Paul says all things are yours, so what are they, those things are? What, what are those things? He gives six things that are yours by faith in Christ. The first blessings that you receive is that all ministers and teachers are yours. Again, verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or, or Cephas, who are they? Who are they? Ministers of the church of Corinth. Paul says every Christian, uh, every Christian ministers, every Christian minister is yours. Every Christian minister belongs to you, and these are gifts of God. In union with Christ, every Christian minister that God has gifted to us to help us are ours. In the past and the future, St. Augustine, John Calvin, Heinrich Bullinger, Zacharias Ursinus, who actually composed the Heidelberg Catechism, 
which we have learned much from. Jonathan Edwards, R.C. Sproul, or Sinclair Ferguson, and so forth. They are all ours. If they present the Word of God helpfully to you, they are yours. Many ministers or seminary professors have said this, all my best friends are dead. Which, which means that they read good old books that teach them in a way that contemporary books might not teach them. If you are in union with Christ by faith in His name, all teachers, all Christian teachers and ministers are said to be yours. What else is yours? Secondly, the world is yours. Verse 22 continues, or the world. Whatever external things of the world that can profit you, they are yours as well. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in my name you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The implication is that if you are in union with Christ, by faith in His name, He has overcome this world. And so you have a share in the world. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you are in Christ, you have an inheritance that extends to the whole world, to the whole of the earth. That is is extraordinary, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the whole earth. Do you believe it? Will you believe it? The third blessing that we have access to for believing in Christ is life is yours. John said in the first chapter of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The divine Jesus gives, He gives the promises that in Him you have life. And not any old life. Again, Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This promise, if you have faith, the faith of a mustard seed, You have life and life more abundantly. Jesus promises to you more abundant life so that Paul can truly say life is yours. The whole of life in Christ is yours. Paul says in Romans 6.5, if you have been united to Christ, united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection life as His. We are united to Christ. And we have a resurrection life 
like Him. What else is yours? Fourthly, death is yours. Verse 22 also says, or death. Paul says again in Philippians 1, 21 and 22, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. In Christ, you have been saved from death. For the sake of His resurrection, you have been saved from death here and now. As Romans 7.24 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has saved you and I from death by His resurrection. Through justification, you are no longer under condemnation by sin and death. So that Paul can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you have peace with God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Furthermore, in Christ you have victory over death. Paul says that in Christ death is yours. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death. Jesus has given us victory over death so that we can shout, Death, where is your sting? What other spiritual benefits do we have? Fifthly, the present is yours. The present is yours. This verse continues of the present. The present is yours. God is the sovereign king over all creation and nothing escapes his sovereign hand. Therefore, you can be confident that the Lord God now rules and defends you either in suffering or in tribulation. We are conquerors of the present. As Paul says in Romans 8, in a very similar context, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You can be sure of your, your excuse me, you can be sure of your eternal destiny in the present because the Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign King of the universe. And you can be sure in this present world that you will not be separated from the love of God through Christ Jesus. You cannot be separated from the love of God through Christ Jesus. The last blessing that is yours is the future is yours. 
Paul again speaks of the blessings of the Christian in verse 22, or the future. We often worry about the future, don't we? We often worry about the state of this country or the state of Christianity. But if God is sovereign over all things, we need not be worried. For the God of the universe has got this. And we, in union with Christ, are on His side. The future is yours. He knows what you need when you need it. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. Do not be anxious, Jesus said, for the Lord will provide what you need either physically or spiritually. He sums all these blessings up in this one line. All things are yours and you are Christ's. Christ says through Paul, we are one flesh. I have all things so that whatever I have is yours. Should not we glory in Christ? Should we abolish the thoughts of men that we might glory in men, mankind, or fallen men? We glory in Christ. And Christ alone. Galatians 6.14 says, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of Christ. This is the one flesh principle. And these are ramifications for Christ and His people that we have all things in Him. One more note on this text. The passage passage says, and Christ is God's. Now, this doesn't mean God owns Christ or Christ is less than God. As the Arian heresy used to say that there are degrees in the Godhead. The Father is God and the Son is lesser God and the Spirit is the least of the divine nature. This is the heretical opinions of Arian. But the more orthodox say ontologically in reference to His being, all things, excuse me, all these three are one God. The the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. However, in His mediatorship, He submits to God the Father. Not in ontology, but he He is true God and makes Himself subordinate to God the Father, but not in His divine being. The Father did not subject Himself to the Incarnation, but the Son did eagerly and willingly and voluntarily. Philippians 2 speaks of this. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, though He was in the form of God, did not account, excuse me, did not count a quality with God, a thing to be grasped, to be seized, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The sum of Philippians 2 is that though he was in the form of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the same ontology, he was equal in power and glory, but because the Son from eternity past voluntarily agreed to humble himself and submit to the cursed death of the cross in order to save sinners, our text says, and Christ is God's. Does that make sense? He was fully equal to each of the persons of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. Yet He humbled Himself and became a mediator for us in order to redeem the Lord's elect. That brings us to our applications. The first application that I would like to make to you is stand in awe of the great things that are said to be yours. Stand in awe of the great things that are said to be yours. The universal church is said to have all ministers and teachers, all the world, all life and death, all things present and future. These are said to be yours in Christ Jesus. Is that not amazing? Are you not floored by the things that are said to belong to you? If you are in Christ, those things belong only in Christ to you. Is is that not amazing? By faith in Christ, you have all things. Which implies that He didn't come for Himself. But that He came for the church to produce faith in Christ This this is simply staggering. And this is a result of the one flesh principle. And by faith in His name, Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her in order that that He might present her blameless to Himself and sanctify her with the Word. Simply amazing. Jesus, through Paul, says, You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore, if we stand in union with Christ, so whatever is Christ's is ours. So what does He take from us? We've spoken a lot about what we have been given through Christ. You might ask, if Christ has given us all things, and if He is united to us, if He says one flesh, if if, if He is one flesh with you and I, He must take on something of ours, shouldn't He? What does He get from us? In summary, Christ by imputation gets your sin. Gets your sin. That is a sobering thought. Isaiah 53, 5 
through 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And with His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The Lord's Supper. It's it's not ironic, but uh, we get to think upon that when we take the Lord's Supper. Remember, He says, what I have paid for you. It cost Christ His life to redeem you and I. It it cost Christ everything to redeem you and I. Remember that. We get His righteousness. What a, a staggering thought, but simultaneously, as Christ imputes to us righteousness, we impute to Him our sin. This is regularly called the great transfer. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 speaks of this. For our sake, He made Him to be sin. Who, know, who knew no sin? Absolutely zero. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Further, 1 Peter 3.23, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Is this not clear? By two or three witnesses, the rule is established. He gave to us these blessings that He had accomplished Himself, and we gave Him all our sins. As the hymn writer said in How deep the Father's love for us. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. In this one flesh principle, Whatever is Christ's is reckoned ours. And whatever is ours is reckoned to Christ. We get all the blessings and Christ gets all the curses. But in order to give us blessings, Christ had to bear all the curses. But death could not contain Him. He rose from the dead with a shout of victory that all was accomplished. And that we may receive all the promises of redemption. And that is a reality both here and now. Furthermore, He has one other blessing that He gives to the church. He has given us a meal that is spread before us today. Jesus, before His death, 
Christ gave to us a meal to remind us of the price that He paid in purchase from sin and and death. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And after giving thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, He took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. If you don't remember, you dismember. If you don't remember, you dismember. That is what this book of 1 Corinthians is all about. The Corinthians had forgotten and they threatened to dismember the church. This is what Paul is doing. Reminding the Corinthians and reminding us as well that Christ did not die for us to continue in, to continue in the sins of division and, and uh, false doctrines. He died to grant life through His victory and grant us abundant life to give us the world and death and life and the present and the future so that we might have confidence in this present world to know that our future is secured by faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord, In faith we come to You in thanksgiving that all things are ours in Christ Jesus. Whether our ministers, the world, life or death, things present and things to come, all things are ours if we are in Christ. We thank You for all those blessings that You grant to us. Now we ask that You set this beautiful meal apart for us that Christ has blessed us with and and make it effectual to produce more faith in us. We believe, help our unbelief. We know that this is not a meal that we need to come perfectly to, but it it is a meal for sinners. And we are all sinners, saved by grace, not by works, so that we can never boast in our works. But let us consider the body and the blood of the Lord. And would you enable us to take the body of, and, and blood by faith in His blood. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.